Season 2, Episode 39. North Carolina, Day 3, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> what is Electric Boogaloo? I don't know. I just we've we've changed the title each of the days. I was just being creative. Just walk me through how you get to Electric Boogaloo. It's the way my brain works. I have no further explanation. <laughs> Listeners, he just genuinely came up with that at the top of his head. I saw no preparation in your eyes. It just words came out, and I'm like, where did that come from? That was basically podcasting. Yeah. Not too much forethought, just words coming out of our faces. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do that every time, but usually you're the sane one that keeps it tight. <sighs> As with the first day that we did this, I'm now kind of tired. Uh, because, listeners, we are now back in Charlotte. We The conference is over. We drove about the state a little bit and ended up in Charlotte because Matt is flying back tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to be in Charlotte giving a talk at St. Thomas Aquinas Church, and then I'll be flying back Sunday morning. Yeah, David's a little disappointed that Matt is once again so close to being able to go to one of his talks, and I'm not going to make it. I have abandonment issues, but it's okay. Yeah. So when we last left the listeners, it was Thursday night, and we were just about... That was last night, David. I'm just articulating the chronology. Oh, and you might not release this tonight, so... We'll see. Anyway, last time we left you, it was Thursday night, and we were just about to go to an interview with Douglas Gresham, talking about the adaptation process of bringing Lewis's works to the silver screen. And in that talk, we found out uh, a bunch of fun facts. He said that he didn't have a favorite Narnian book, which I that seems like a cop-out to me. It's like, come on, put your colors against one particular book. But he said that his favorite book was whatever he was currently reading. And, you know, that's not a bad answer, though. <clears throat> it's a cheating answer. <laughs> you have to make a decision at some point. But he did say that one of his favorite characters was Reaper Cheap. Oh, Reaper Cheap is so good. And he, he listed some of the his favorite actors that he had worked with over over the course of the movies. Pretty much was the guy who played Mr. Tumnus, James McAvoy, yep. and pretty much all the children. Oh, but he, he especially... Especially? Especially. Yeah, uh, it's for, back. For, for new listeners, Matt has difficulty saying especially. <laughs> it's always especially. But don't worry, we, we, can, we can speak fluent Matt by this point. Particularly... Particularly. Lucy. Yes. He really spoke incredibly highly of Lucy, well, the actor that played Lucy. Mm-hmm. As well as the guy that played Peter. Yes, yes. Said he was a man of integrity. Yep. But no, they spent a little longer talking about the inspirations for the various characters. Uh, so I think somebody asked him whether he was the inspiration for Diggory from The Magician's Nephew, which you haven't read yet. And he said no. Cause it should have, though. It's the first one. I don't know why I haven't It's yet. not the first one. We're not doing this again. <laughs> Uh, but he said that he thought he might have been the inspiration for the two male characters in The Horse and His Boy, which you also haven't read, but will make sense later. He did tell one story that I thought was rather funny. Uh, he was saying about how they were only very relatively recently able to do a movie like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with talking animals. And it was at a presentation somewhere, and this girl asked him, is that lion real? And he said, with a glint in his eye, he said, well, actually, yes, I 
I had the very awkward task of having to write to the parents of the two twin girls who were playing Lucy to explain that, that the lion had eaten one of their daughters, which is <laughs> <laughs> really dark. <laughs> uh, I remember hearing that thinking, yeah, how did you come up with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you ask a certain kind of question, you'll get that certain yeah, kind of answer. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I found out that I hadn't actually realized, I just hadn't been that observant, that um, Douglas Gresham had played a cameo role in all three of the recent Narnia movies. He, I did not know that. I wanted to go back and try to see him, mm-hmm. find him. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to see what I can find on, on YouTube. Because he was the uh, voice of the radio announcer in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the announcer in Prince Caspian when Miraz has a, it's announced that he has a son. And he was also one of the slavers in The Dawn Treader. Hmm. I didn't have a lot from that talk. Well, I have actually nothing. <laughs> I took no notes. I was just enjoying listening to him tell these stories, but I didn't really write anything down. Well, I uh, almost didn't go to the talk, if you remember. I, I, I remember, because uh, uh, long-time listeners will know that Matt is an old man and goes to bed at about 8 o'clock. And I was tired. I was like, oh. But it's a good thing that you didn't go to bed, because later that night we got to hang out with Douglas Gresham and a bunch of other C.S. Lewis scholars. Yeah, and I almost, yeah, my old man almost kicked in pretty aggressively <laughs> because David had, David got us invited to this whiskey and porch session, let's call it that, with Justin Wiggins, who, if you guys remember, is a surprise by Agape author who we had on in season one. Yes, he was our first After Hours guest. Yeah, and I, 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 I mean, I, was, I, was, I would have loved to go, but I was just really tired, and I almost even skipped the talk before, and then I thought to myself, you know what? You're only here once. What's the worst that? I mean, this will be enjoyable. Just go, stay awake. You'll yawn a bit and you can leave. Put on your big boy pants. Yeah. And oh my goodness, it was incredible. We show up, first of all, it's a little intimidating because there's already a circle of about 15 people. And there's Douglas and about five or six other C.S. Lewis scholars. And I'm like, woo. <laughs> and I don't see Justin who invited us. I'm like, um, this could be awkward. Uh-huh. And then David, I don't know if I. I I wasn't sure if you felt awkward at all or intimidated because then David's first thing is, I brought the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll recall I said that I was going to bring the VAT 69 to the conference and I was going to share it one night. And so this seemed to be the perfect occasion. Uh, and uh, my bubble was immediately popped as Douglas Gresham then started talking about how Lewis didn't really drink it. And uh, yeah. He's a beer wine guy, he said. Yeah, so... He was uh, gifted whiskey, and he would drink it when he was gifted it, but it sounds like he didn't go out and actively purchase it. So I would like to announce that I'm ending this podcast, and I'm no longer a C.S. Lewis fan, and it's been great, but bye. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can I have your extra VAT 69 then? Absolutely not. Uh, But no, despite the fact that it might not have been something that he regularly drank, everyone in the circle made short work of it. Yeah, well, and I did appreciate Jerry Root, one of the C.S. Lewis scholars, after Douglas had said this, said something along the lines of, well, I don't care. I really could use some whiskey right now. (laughs) Not important whether Lewis liked it or not. Just want some whiskey. Yeah, and uh, we then settled in and various people lit their pipes and we had a little bit of an Inklings meeting. Yeah, first, I mean, it started out with 
So Douglas is doing a documentary on him. No, Douglas is... About him. (laughs) As you might have guessed, Matt is tired again. In fact, while I am still vertical, Matt is horizontal, lying on the bed, holding his microphone. (laughs) (laughs) There is a documentary being made of Douglas Gresham by his friend Robert. I think his last name is pronounced Kassar. Okay. What's important about that is Robert was sitting next to Douglas, and since he spent the last couple years, few years actually, with Douglas... They had a really good banter. So the beginning was them somewhat going back and forth, telling stories of the different places that they've been. And about Malta, because they've both lived there. Yes. Uh, and, and then a lot of the stories were around Australia mm-hmm. as well, because I guess Douglas's sons or children, a couple of them are there. And so that was really enjoyable to hear that. But then they shifted to interview style, where Douglas asked different members of the circle questions in an interview format where are you from how did lewis impact you some of this what have you written about because we had a bunch of different authors there yeah and they were talking about how they got into lewis and what kind of work they were doing and that was fantastic because there was jerry root there it was crystal Hurd. she has such a lovely personality <laughs> it was david downing uh there was Stephen brie bb you said what's his name yeah okay mm-hmm. uh and a couple others there uh there's cat coffin who's C.S. Lewis scholar and soon to become C.S. Lewis author uh, in the Lamppost listeners. And so it was just great. Oh, Justin Wiggins, obviously, who wrote Surprised by Agape. And he was just the loveliest chap. So it was, it was a wonderful conversation. But what are some of the stories that Douglas told that jumped out to you? Uh, he, he told quite a few very touching stories about Fred Paxford. He was mm, the gardener yes. at the Kilns. And... They seemed to be very close, and he spoke just very affectionately about him, and it was just very clear that he cared for him a lot. Uh, he also told the story of his romance with his wife, oh. Mary. And actually, in anticipation of possibly meeting him, I made Matt go and watch a video of Mary telling her story, both of her relationship with Doug and her coming to faith. And that right there is a really beautiful story. Since it's obviously public knowledge on YouTube, I'm not sharing anything that she's not already shared with the world. She really struggled with love, like self-worth, believing that she was worthy of love. And then Douglas comes along and sees her get off this train because Douglas is working, I believe, at her uncle's farm and literally says to the young man next to him, and there's, there's probably 200 women getting off the train. So Douglas has no idea anything right now. But he just sees this woman and says, I'm going to marry her. And the guy next to him goes, you mean my cousin? <laughs> and sure enough, he pursues her for three years. Yeah. The, Mar- guy, the guy had persistence. He did. And just kept going, kept going. She said no. She said no. She said no. And, go, and asking for her hand in marriage. And eventually she said yes. And I was hearing that. And I'm like, first of all, that is so beautiful. But then I thought, I could never do that. I mean, <laughs> uh, I'll go a few times for a girl. But first of all, if you don't know a girl, or, or, and it could go the other way as well. But if you don't know the girl, it's like, all right, it's not like I'm in love with you. I don't know you. So I'm not going to pursue you relentlessly just off of looks in my first sights. I think propose max three times <laughs> at that point. It's like, ah, eh, maybe she's not into me. Yeah. But what was so beautiful about that and so I don't mean that comment that I was doing belittling this story. It's incredibly beautiful because it's a story of her finding herself beautiful through him seeing her beautiful. Mm. That's not the best way to say that, but it comes across enough. Mm. He he helped her discover herself. That's exactly and what beauty. I was yes. 
And I'll, I'll make sure I put a link in the show notes to the video of, of her testimony, basically. Mm-hmm. And then in their marriage, she was not a Christian. And then eventually, this I don't remember from the video because I started skipping through knowing that we we're going to be leaving to see them in a sec. But she started listening to Lewis's cassettes. But what was? why did she get the... the she, did she even know at this point that this was a stepson of Lewis? Yeah. Okay, she did. And then why did she get the inkling or the itch to listen to these? There was something in her life that caused her to turn to him. I can't recall the specifics. All yeah. I can remember is that she was doing a lot of work in the garden and yep. she had 10 cassette tapes worth of mere Christianity. Yeah, and that brought her to Christianity. Then he talked about how they ran a post-abortion traumatic stress clinic for free for 13 years and a thousand couples or women went through it Mm -hmm. where people have abortion and it's very difficult for them afterwards from a depression perspective and a suicidal thing and they did that ministry so just a really beautiful life that they lived of focusing on adoption and other people in this uh, therapy type ministry yeah i i didn't realize that i gained i i didn't know a lot about him but my respect for him and his wife just went through the roof you never know. We might have him on the show, and we might ask him to tell us a few stories. I would love for him to talk more. If I had him on a show right now, I would hone in on his life. Mm. I know people would want us to ask about Lewis, but I, I'm starting to... The more I got last night, which was more about him, he has a, a very cool life. Mm-hmm. And it's. I feel bad because it's easy to get caught in your identity as Lewis's stepson. But when I hear rather than your own man, yeah. But then when I hear the way that he pursued his wife relentlessly, <laughs> the way they started that therapy ministry, I mean, the life alone take out Lewis is a really cool life. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic night. So we got to bed a little late. Matt was still up before dawn, insisting on going running. I I, I wished him well. <laughs> all of our for the some of our any listener here that's on instagram will see my first ever instagram story more or less that i did myself i took a video on my phone then i had to cut it into three videos and i screwed it up on iMovie and i have no idea what i'm doing but i hope you enjoyed my little my little <laughs> spiel let's call it that i felt inspired so the following morning we went and listened to a talk by dr jerry root and he was asking the question why is lewis so popular with religious america And this was perfect because I'd read a couple of books recently about the reception of C.S. Lewis and his popularity among different denominations, both sides of the Atlantic. And his, his talk, as usual, covered an awful lot of ground. And he told the listeners a fact that I'm obviously very proud of, the fact that Pope John Paul II, he read about, I think it was about 17 of C.S. Lewis's books I know Lewis's secretary, Walter Hooper, he met Pope John Paul II, and uh, the Pope said, ah, C.S. Lewis, that was a man who knew his apostolate, and he went and did it. Yeah, I had no idea, first of all, that Pope John Paul II read 17 Lewis books, Mm. which makes me feel so much better, not that I ever felt bad. (laughs) (laughs) You never feel bad, man. No, I don't. That's why I'm here. But sometimes... I guess we're, we love our Catholic identity and our Catholic faith, and Lewis is very much in line with all of that. But it's, you're, you're picking like a non-Catholic author and devoting your life to spreading this. And it's like, great. Pope John Paul II loved Lewis and read 17 of his books, so now I feel fantastic. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Pope Benedict, he either wrote a commentary or gave a lecture series actually on the abolition of man as well. Oh, wow. I didn't realize Lewis penetrated even the heights of the Catholic Church. Mm. And, and that's what Dr. Root, he spoke about for a little while. He spoke about the Catholic love of Lewis, the Eastern Orthodox love of Lewis, the 
uh, Presbyterian love of mm-hmm. Lewis. And he, he asked the question, how, how can Lewis help us in an age of polarity, you know, where, where people are being divided all of the time? What can, what can Lewis bring to this? He talks a lot about reality in here. Mm-hmm. And he, he had this one part where he talked about we have to adjust ourselves, our souls, and our minds to reality. And typically we actually, in today's day and age, try to do the opposite of that. And then he somehow from there talked about how denying reality can lead to atrophy. And that's what we're seeing a lot of today. And we're boiling everything down to like this scientism and this empiricism. And I really like this analogy he gave. Do you remember the kettle pot boiling? (laughs) This was really great. This was great. So he said, this is what scientism would do. And that's this idea that everything has to be reduced to an empirical study. If you can't quantify it or measure it scientifically, it doesn't exist or it's not real. Is that the right way? It's, it, it's not real truth. It's if not you real truth. You can't scientifically mm-hmm. express it. Yes. And so an example of this would be, imagine if someone said, why is the kettle pot boiling? Well, the scientific answer would be, the the uh, fire is heating up the molecules. The molecules are... It's the brownian motion. Brownian yeah. motion. And as they start to get more disrupted, they start boiling. Yeah, I don't actually know the true answer, but you get the picture. Magic. Yes, magic. <laughs> so that's, that's one answer. That's a scientific answer, and all of that is dead accurate. There's a second answer. Well, it's, but it, it's, it's accurate, but it's also very incomplete because, as you say, there's a second answer. And here's a second answer, and it kind of pauses for dramatic effect. Because I wanted a cup of tea. And would you like one too? <laughs> <laughs> and that's just – that's so – Right. The reason the burner is on and everything is happening in that progression is because I, as a human, wanted a cup of tea. That's why the water is boiling as well. And you think about that and you can explain how the the universe came into existence and you can go through the entire scientific reason for it. But then you can ask, well, because God wanted it to come into existence. Like it's the why is it, did it come into existence essentially mm-hmm. or as the, we put it, why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah. We're getting into the realm of meaning. Yes. So that was just a very interesting thing that I wanted to share. I wrote it down. I, I liked the way he said that. He also spoke about something that we've discussed on this podcast when we were talking about God as Trinity. And he was speaking about Islam in terms of you can't really say that God is love. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. His three questions. He, he goes to Muslim and he says question number one. Is God a contingent or non-contingent being? And he explains it, and they're obviously like, oh, not contingent. It's basically, is, is he dependent upon something yes. else? No, of for, course for, not. For, for his essence. So, okay, they get that. Is God a God of love? Well, yeah, of course. Who is the object of God's love? Mm-hmm. And so the classic answer that uh, a Muslim will give is, well, we are, creation. And he goes, no, that's illogical. Because a non-contingent being cannot be dependent on a contingent being. Mm. And so the only way God can be love is if God is a Trinitarian God. You can't, that the, the progression of statements is not working. So he said he's had that conversation with 200 Muslims, and he didn't give an answer then how many have converted, but he's just had the most profound feedback from that. Shock and all, I guess, that mm-hmm. they've never thought about it that way. Yeah, I, I think it is one of the most beautiful ways of approaching the doctrine of the Trinity, to understand what we mean when we say God is love. The God has to be a community of persons. He must have eternally existed in a relation of love for St. John's statement to be true, that God is love. Yes. And I would say, 
is we've now talked about these few different things from this talk that was about why is Lewis so popular. The thread that strings them all together is Lewis explained truth and reality really well. And that's why we find him so appealing. We just talked about some of these beautiful analogies or this progression of questions, and Lewis just does that really well. Now, the final thing was the panel. And this was interesting. The panel had, it was really just the relevance of C.S. Lewis. So it, it was a free Q&A with the, the entire group of people. And or at least, was it four of them, five? Yes, yeah, sorry by that. I meant um, the, the audience mm-hmm. could essentially ask questions. And so there was no specific focus on it, but there was some really cool takeaways that I, I loved about it. And so the first thing that I thought was really interesting was a comment that one of the individuals, Hal Poe, had made on evangelization. And I can't remember what question he was answering, but he said, pre-1963. I don't know why he chose that year. But. Oh, I think the question was something along the lines of what can Lewis tell us about evangelization oh, yes. evangelism today? Yes, good point. That's exactly right. That'll make allow me to tailor this even better. Pre-1963, and I don't know why he chose that year, but... He said, pretty much everyone knew the Christian story. So if you were an evangelical or you're evangelizing as a Christian, you would essentially go to a person and say to them, they already know the story. So the question is, will you surrender to Christ? Will you give yourself to Christ? Like that's what evangelization was doing, do you, like encouraging. Yes. The, the story that you know, do you accept that? Yes. And the person that it's about? Yes. Today, I don't want to say the majority but a lot more, a meaningful number of individuals, and it could be majority now in our generation, have not heard this story at all or at least well. Mm -hmm. And so evangelization has taken on a whole new shape of telling the truth and the beauty and the story well, which is why Lewis is so important. As we've learned these two words throughout it, he does it in a way that inspires your imagination and appeals to your reason. And so that's what makes Lewis so powerful. And that's why we called our mission of the, the Pints with Jack to discover the truth and beauty of Christianity through the lens of C.S. Lewis. We're trying to tell the story in the beauty of it and the truth of it. Because it seems in every generation, and particularly in recent years, Christians keep forgetting their story yes. or forgetting how to tell it well or to be able to communicate it to the current generation. Yes, and Lewis does it so well. There was another that jumped out to me. I don't remember if this was related to this or if it was another one, but one of the panelists said, God has placed a question in every heart that only the gospel message can answer. Mm-hmm. And I think even St. Augustine was, uh, it was invoked that his famous line, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts wander restless until we rest in you. Yes, And so I don't know the context of that. I only wanted to share that because I thought that was a beautiful sentence. I think it was in the same evangelism question. Okay. It was just a reminder. I want to say it was Dr. David Downing. uh, Yes, I I think you're right I think it was just a reminder that what Christians and Christianity has to offer, people actually want it. Yes. Just very often they don't realize that they want it and they don't recognize that it is the thing that they have been searching for. You're spot on, which progresses perfectly with the evangelization story of Allegra, which I think was Jerry Root now, yes. the third panelist jumping in, who told this really beautiful story in the airport of how he evangelized. Now, he is an extrovert and had no problem being <laughs> the type of person that could go up to a stranger and do this. So this, is, this way isn't for everyone. Do you want to tell it, by the way? 
Uh, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll set it up. Okay. So he was. Realize I've been doing a lot of talking. So <laughs> he was at an airport and he his flight was delayed. Fine, no problem. Picked up a book, started reading, and then while he was reading, he noticed that there was a, a a young girl coming around with a clipboard and asking people questions, doing a questionnaire, and she then eventually came to him. Mm-hmm. And. He's at first, he made a few funny jokes of like why she, he singled out and how he should handle this or something. But he took it as the opportunity to get to know her a little bit. So he starts with a question. Where are you from? Oh, well, what is your name? What is your name? Yeah, he started actually right. Very simple. What is your name? Oh, yeah, where are you from? Oh, her name is Allegra. Yes, which, you know, good point. I should have said that because my niece's name is Allegra. <laughs> and I love my niece. She's 13 months old. And I have a second niece right now now, Gabriella. She's one month old. Irish twins. <laughs> And I just got a twinning picture. Sorry, tangent. Proud uncle. So starts with that. What's your name? Allegra. And just goes down this progression of questions. Where are you from? Your family. Finds out that her family, her parents are split up. Finds out why the dad was a pretty bitter person. The mother ran off with her lover. But doesn't blame her mother because the dad was quite bitter. And then a tragic story between her and her brother or one of her mm-hmm. siblings doesn't have a good relationship. And so he was just asking a question and asking a question. And, and first, I like how he made the comment that he never – he asked simple public-type questions, and then she actually allowed it to go deeper. Mm-hmm. And so he – So, for example, I think he asked her where she lived. She said that she lived in this place while her parents were together, but then when they divorced, she now lives somewhere else. Yes. So she had volunteered that information. Yes. And so he's he's keeping this going. And by the end of it, uh, she's starting to get, he's learning a lot about her life. And somehow he makes a comment where he says, you know, I really truly believe I was placed here to tell you something. But he says, you've got some questions to ask me first. So let's, let's do those. So she does the questions that she was supposed to do her survey or whatever it was. And then at the end she goes, but I want to know what's this question. Or this thing you want to tell me, sorry. What's this thing you're supposed to tell me? And he goes, I want you to know that you are known and loved by the God of the universe. And she broke down crying. And he, he said he said it a couple of times and with her name. Yes, he says, sometimes, sometimes people need to hear this to let it really sink in. Yes. Allegra, God loves you. Mm. And I actually got tears because you guys are hearing us trying to rehash this and we're not going to do it near as well. So maybe you're rolling your eyes like that's not that great. And that's because we didn't tell it well. (laughs) He did. But it's just all of us are broken. All of us are wounded. And the gospel message is a really incredibly beautiful message. And the Christian story is one of a kind. And it's what we were made for. And it's what we're yearning for. And be bold. Share it like that. Uh, Sometimes that won't always work out. And that's okay. We can't actually judge it based on the outcome. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't know if they might walk away like, huh, what was that? But then think a week later, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up in the moment of how they respond. And then I think of that before I do it and I go, <laughs> okay, I'm not doing it because I don't want that outcome. Yeah. And, and we, we want an immediate, uh, immediate gratification. It's like, okay, I'm going to go and get baptized now in the water fountain in the, uh, in the airport lounge. Yes. <laughs> The final thing I had from this panel that was just simple, and actually I kind of briefly mentioned it from the previous talk too, but this was just a little quote that I'm going to use. The old wisdom taught us to conform your will to reality. The new wisdom 
teaches us to conform reality to your will. That's what we're taught today. We could bend reality to our will, and that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And actually, that happens, and even in in the Christian faith, it's like let's bend doctrine and teaching to our will. Let's remake God in our image, one yes. a little bit more pleasing to us. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Let's remake God in our image rather than realizing we are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And our goal is to learn what and who God is, not to shape him to what we want. So that was the talks today. And I would say overall, just for me personally, I was talking about this with David in the car. There was a lot of lessons we've learned and we've shared those with you. The biggest takeaway I got from this, and not like a theological takeaway, but as enthusiasts, David and I stress over and over, we are not scholars. We aren't even remotely (laughs) close to the level of any of these individuals. That was demonstrated very clearly this weekend. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But we're not trying to be. And what I really liked about this was it let me see the scholarly community web of books and research that surround uh, C.S. Lewis. Actually, like we call it the Marvel Universe. Let's call it the Lewis Universe. This is all of the different authors around it. And so now we'll probably put together at some point. It might be in these show notes. It might be in a future one. We'll let you know. But just a list of the six to seven to eight scholars that we've come across here at this conference. Maybe we'll put a couple more that couldn't be here. And just their books on Lewis. Because I would never have known there was these six or seven that were here and they've all written like three, four, five books. So between them, there's probably 30 books that could be read on Lewis. I wouldn't have known that. And you never know. Some of them might be appearing on the show at some point soon. Yes, we made sure we got FaceTime with them all. (laughs) Yeah. And also, I think the thing that was made very clear to me, in the same way that Lewis didn't regard himself as a theologian or really as an evangelist, he saw himself as more of a translator. And hopefully that's what we managed to do with this podcast, to go to these kinds of conferences, read some of these books, and try and translate what we've understood. Now, just before you and I left the campus, we went to the Heritage Center where they had a a little (laughs) display. So they had uh, a couple of contracts that Lewis had signed. They had a a life-size wardrobe door that you could walk through into another part of the exhibit. Now, there might be some goofy photos at some point that make it up. Yep. Check out Instagram. Are they already up? Not yet, oh, but they will be by this time this gets... I made some... I did some funny things. I was in a weird mood. <laughs> he was in a weird mood. Yeah, I don't know why. I think I was in the slap happy where you're just so tired you don't care. <laughs> and after we had gone through the wardrobe, we then got in the car and drove away, and we drove our new friend John. We dropped him off at the airport, and we got to talk about the conference, about our individual experiences there. And then we went on and visited a listener. Oh, this was fantastic. I was about to say her name. Um, let's, just, let's just say it's a listener that we have mentioned before. The end. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess we won't just for the sake. But um, she'd probably be fine with it. But anyways, it was the loveliest time. Mm. Um, her and her husband. And then he picked up their child. And so he was gone for a bit and then came back and... First of all, before anything else, the most adorable son in the world. Kid is brilliant. Mm -hmm. Well beyond his age in terms of maturity and intelligence. Although I also have to point out how good the quiche was and the cookies were amazing. They were (laughs) gluten-free. I didn't believe it. Yeah, I know. I was a bit suspicious as well. And she's big into the Enneagram, which 
I fully plan on I don't think I'll actually do it in this episode. I think it would be better in the preface of the Till We Have Faces since it connects so much with Till We Have Faces. And we're going to be recording that soon. But I learned a lot about the Enneagram on my last Discordly retreat last Sunday as we're recording this. So yeah, this past Sunday. And she knew so much. It made me so happy because I learned about myself. We learned about David. And now <laughs> he's become a bit more of an enthusiast. Now we want to share when I'll go into more detail the next time, but it's a tool. Some people hear Enneagram and think, Ooh, people put too much weight on the Enneagram. It's a tool. You know, I'm excited because I'm learning about it, but I get that it's, it's a, it's blunt. It's, it's a, it's a tool that you basically take a quiz, it puts you in a certain personality type, and then says, these will be your typical strengths, these will be your typical weaknesses. And th- this, this is how the, the, the strengths of your character can become twisted, yes, and this is how they is. can flourish. Yes. Actually, typically the way it says is your strengths, when they become addicted to your strength, they can actually become a negative mm-hmm. vice. So that was great. Yeah, it was, so, it was just such an easy conversation, a fun time. Yeah. For an introvert, after two retreats back to back, I wasn't sure how long I was going to last. I was like, I don't want to leave. This is great. <laughs> and then we got in the car and drove in a hotel room again. Three hours, and now we're in Charlotte. And we're going to watch Wonder Woman, or whatever's left of the movie. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> so that was it. That was our three-day adventure at the C.S. Lewis conference. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed these more informal, unedited episodes that we've been offering, just letting you know what we've been doing. We were talking about it in the car on the way over here, and we're aiming to have the first Till We Have Faces episode drop probably in the first week of Advent. Yes. Uh, and so anyways, listeners, we'll start to, we'll give you more formal introduction to season three and some of the changes we've made. You've already seen the new logo. We actually pushed the new website update. So if you go there naturally, you'll see it. There might be some final tweaks that are done. We wanted to just get it up before, but check it out. We can't stress enough that you guys go sign up for the newsletter. So if you're listening to this now, go on, sign up for the newsletter. It's not actually going to be a newsletter really, but it's going to be a weekly thing that releases our podcast, our blog. And if we do these YouTube videos, those will all be distributed through it. And so it'll be an easy way to get it to your inbox each Tuesday morning if that's when we keep doing it. And it'll also give us a chance to communicate just once in a while some other things as well. So if you don't want to miss anything, I would highly recommend signing up for that. So just click join, type in your email, and you will not be inundated with emails. Don't worry. (laughs) And please also, uh, we haven't stressed this in a while, and you guys have been great doing it naturally because there's been a huge influx in it, but rate right now give us some ratings some reviews uh it's getting a lot of momentum and traction so that's just super helpful so we want to say thank you for the last there's been a few in the last week yeah whether that's on itunes podbean any any of any of the platforms where you find our podcast yeah yeah i'm excited guys i'm very excited for what we've got coming down the pipeline and i can't wait for till we have faces douglas gresham said it's his favorite book i already told you that well now you know twice I think that's a good note to end on. So please join us next time when we'll be going further up. And further in. I mean, we're cheers, but we have no drink. Which is very sad. Cheers to sleeping. Cheers to sleeping. (laughs) 